Good morning, good afternoon and good evening and welcome along to episode 6 of COP26 Covered. Whether you're here at COP and fully clued up on every announcement or not important enough to get a ticket into the blue zone or at home in your pyjamas and wanting to escape the mayhem of it all, this podcast is for you. Uh, and the ED team uh, are reunited here back in the media centre within the Blue Zone, joined by a rather swamped Matt Mace with editorial plans coming out of his ears, and a recovering Sarah George after single-handedly delivering yesterday's finance-themed episode. Today we're going to be chatting energy transitions, resilient cities, and a little bit more climate finance. Still no sign of Ed Miliband, but there are Pokemon here, plus a little story about me driving off a cliff in an autonomous car. All of that and the usual features right here on the COP26 Covered podcast. Okay, yes, hello and welcome along to the show. Uh, It's currently in real time, uh, 3.48pm on the 4th of November, which means we're approaching the end of Energy Day here at COP26. Uh, It's been a hugely significant day of of national uh, commitments, action plans, some of which we're still kind of waiting on, uh, which we'll get onto in a moment. Matt, speaking about energy, how are your energy levels doing after the last few days? Yeah, they're surprisingly up there still, I think. Um, I don't feel like I've left the media centre though it just feels like home now to the point where I'm tempted to just buy a sleeping bag <laughs> and maybe just like um, crop up and see if it's a bit like you know night at the museum when all the doors shut <laughs> you know do the do the installations come to life yeah. where I'm at. so maybe judging by the what I'm talking about now I'm not really focused on cop so maybe my sanity levels are dropped but my energy levels are up so I'm fine what's the latest you've, st- you've been here uh, I think yesterday I left here, um, it was approaching 8 o'clock. Oh, that's not too bad, yeah, that's not too bad. But then we we end up working when we get back as well, having our team meeting at like half ten in our pajamas. Exactly. So it's been late nights, yeah, for sure. Um, it's difficult as well, like there's no kind of real barometer for knowing how tired you are because it's just constant being up here. I mean, my only barometer, apart from my face, I suppose, in the mirror every morning when I see myself, is... Uh, is my sleep app and uh, the percentages on my sleep app, which I'm kind of a bit obsessed by, have just been going down and down and down. I'm now in the 50s, uh, which I don't think is a, a good place to be. Um, anyway, Sarah, hello. Um, have you recovered from your finance day special yesterday? Yeah, I'm actually thriving today. So after um, a diversion, so shall we say, during yesterday's podcast, we spent a little bit more time um, yesterday evening planning um, and I've been splitting my time between learning about powerful women at the UK pavilion, um, scrolling away on news, um, podcast recording as obviously um, and now sitting down eating a satsuma which Luke has told me to pause. Yes. Podcast more important. Yeah along with your peanut based uh, sweets which uh, we're learning things about each other as we go on but yeah I'm allergic to peanuts so I appreciate you bringing those up unless that was some sort of plan. Um, special shout out as well to Rishi Madlani, the head of sustainable finance at NatWest, um, who not only agreed to a video interview yesterday at short notice, but also connected you up, Sarah, with some of his uh, big financial friends for some of that additional podcast content. So uh, thanks to Rishi. Um, and so it is Energy Day here at COP. Uh, as you might expect, there's been a flurry of energy and net zero related announcements throughout the day most of which we've covered in some shape or form on ED. But Sarah, uh, as our very own Kate Silverton, you thought I'd forgotten about those introductions, um, I thought I'd give you a 30 second challenge to round up the day's biggest announcements. 
Matt, have you got a clock on your um, phone? If you, yeah, give me a second. Call up the clock on your phone, Matt. Right, Sarah, so 30 seconds to give us a recap on what your kind of take is on essentially the, the biggest announcements today um, on Energy Day. You ready to go, Matt? I am ready. Oh, Matt's ready. Matt's what ready you with the clock. You've got 24 seconds. <laughs> I'll behave. Um, OK, biggest announcement came late last night, not this morning, about the coal transition globally. Um, collectively, 190 <laughs> nations and organisations pledging to end international coal financing ASAP and then domestic by 2030. But some notable absences, nothing new yeah. from Japan or South Korea. Pikachu's protesting that, as you said. Also, Australia, oh. still yet to confirm anything. That's the biggest announcement of the day, to be honest. They're very, no. very quiet on no. gas. No more. Very quiet on <laughs> gas. <yeah. laughs> you managed to get that in. Wow, yeah, that, was pretty that was pretty good going. Well done, Sarah. And you even managed to get the mention of Pikachu in. Um, yeah, there are a troop of Pikachus outside. I've, I've seen the pictures. I didn't see them when I came in um, earlier on. I suppose just for the listeners' benefit, what the hell is Pikachu? And, and well, we all know what Pikachu is, but what the hell are they doing here? Japanese government, essentially, is it an, associated with them? They're presently planning to finance um, a coal plant, uh, and so this troop of Pikachus have, have come along to essentially demand that Japan stops overseas coal by 2030 and, and curbs its addiction, um, I think, as their signage reads. Not that I can read Japanese. Imagine but. if they were actually real Pikachus, though. Like, we wouldn't have an energy crisis. You'd just use the Pokemon. Yeah. Electric, aren't they? Well, do you remember the game came out, didn't it? The Pokemon game, and you became obsessed with it, Matt. You, was, you it. were still going like a year later when everyone else had put their phones away. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, five minutes to spare. See what's outside the window. What can I, what can I catch? Right. Well, let's get serious. So, while you guys have been off um, uh, doing your interviews and all that other serious stuff that journalists do, playing like, Pokemon. Playing Pokemon. <laughs> um, do you know what I've been up to? Sounds like something to do with an autonomous car, which I'm very intrigued by. Autonomous car, yeah, I mentioned that just now, I'll come to that. Um, been seeing some famous people. Should we play a game of who's seen the most famous person at COP so far? Okay. You go. Uh, DiCaprio. Oh, okay, Matt wins. Right, next segment. Are you uh, fibbing? There's a photo in the group. Yeah, he did put a photo in the group, actually, to be fair. Anyone from you, Sarah? I thought that was Nico Rosberg. I can't tell people apart when they're wearing um, a mask. I mean, I've just brushed shoulders with Patricia Espinosa, but that's not really a celebrity moment. That's a UN celebrity um, moment. And same with Mary Robinson, who mm. was wandering around this, this yeah. morning. Oh, we're still, that's just reminded me. We're still hoping to get a chat with Mary, aren't we? Well, we're on first name basis with Mary. Um, and anyway, my point was I saw Greta um, yeah. in the action zone, um, followed her around for a little bit. She wasn't taking any interviews, but... Uh, so you, so essentially you've been to the action zone twice. You've met Greta Thunberg and Ed Miliband. You've asked them both for interviews, and they both said no. Just wanted to make sure I got all the facts out to on put the table it, then. When you put it like that, yes, that is correct, Matt. I've been pied now twice. Both times I've gone into the action zone. Uh, once by Ed Miliband and once by a, a 12-year-old girl. Um, so, yeah, that was good fun. And then, anyway, secondly, I decided to then, as you say, Matt, trip over, take a trip over to meet Sarah in the green zone. Um, this is essentially the exhibition element of COP, which houses all of those principal partners and other organisations who are leading the way on, on climate action. Uh, and we saw the guys at Virgin Media O2. We should give them a special mention, actually, O2, as Edie's headline COP26 partner, don't you know? 
And anyway, they were there and had their autonomous car, um, or an autonomous car, which was connected up to a range of O2 sensors, essentially, um, which means the car, the electric car, can be completely connected up to a, a local network and other cars even. So obviously a potential game changer, particularly if rolled out to heavy goods vehicles. Uh, and they decided to let me have a go on this car, which was connected up to a VR screen. You would have loved this kind of thing, Matt. So I wasn't actually kind of driving the car, I should say, and thank God, because as Sarah will testify, no more than 10 seconds after doing the manual override on this autonomous vehicle, um, I'd rolled the car. It was just rolling, the screen was just going to It wasn't a single roll, it was a proper barrel roll. Yeah, it was it a kept barrel going. Roll. Oh, right, like James Bond style. And yeah, and it was spiralling off the end of the, the video game, essentially. Just the, all you could see was the sky just every few seconds as I was rolling. Um, so that was an experience. Anyway, stories of me dying aside, let's get on with the show. We've got a bit of a relay today between Matt and Sarah. You guys had three interviews all carried out earlier today from the sidelines of COP. So, where are we starting? Um, yeah, we're staying in the blue zone to begin with um, for a meeting with Christina Kloberdance, the Chief Sustainability Officer at Mastercard. Um, met her online last year, um, delighted to get a meeting in at that time. She was New York based. Um, she's now informed me that she's moved to London, so it might be easier to meet her um, in the future. But in any case, good to reconnect um, at COP. So do you want to pass over or am I passing over to myself? Let's pass over and we'll hear that interview now with Christina at Mastercard in full. Thank you. And for the first interview of the day, I have Christina Kloberdans, who is the CSO at Mastercard. So thank you very much for joining me this morning, Christina. How are we doing? Thanks so much. Um, and it's a pleasure to, to speak with you today. There's been a lot going on in the last few days and um, looking forward to this discussion. Of course. And I know that we were watching the big announcements coming from Mark Carney, Rishi Sunak and company yesterday. Um, but I know you had a full afternoon of events as well. So how would you describe the atmosphere for Finance Day and what are your reflections on the past 24 hours happenings? You know, it's, it's interesting. Even in the lead up to COP, there were an enormous amount of commitments being made and then yesterday hearing the financial commitments and all of that is fantastic. I think what you're also hearing is we need to turn the commitments into action and really how is the money getting to the right places um, and so I think hopefully during these two weeks we'll start to really get down into how do we start to drive some of the collective action um, to, to make some of the progress. And that's what I wanted to come on to. So on our podcast yesterday, we heard um, from finance and insurers. In the headlines, we've seen a lot from central banks, governments and intergovernmental alliances. Um, but what is the role of MasterCard in these discussions and in, as you mentioned, that enablement, um, that action? Yeah, great. Thanks so much. We actually, if you think about MasterCard, we're a payments and a technology company. Our own environmental footprint is not as large as some of the other, but we're very committed to our own footprint um, in reducing our emissions, um, which is part of our net zero commitment. And earlier this week, we actually accelerated that timeline from 2050 to 2040, and a large portion um, of our net zero commitment is our supply chain. And so when you talk about the collective action, that's something that we're really interested in. How can we help drive and mobilize the supply chain? And there are a couple of things that we've been doing is um, 
part of the 1.5 degree supply chain leaders in the exponential roadmap and trying to offer to those suppliers that are 500 employees or less um, the ability to have resources so that they can make international size commitments to climate through the SME Climate Hub. Also for MasterCard, outside of our own footprint, is the unique position that we have in our network. And if you think of, we have a reach to nearly three billion cardholders. And those cards are issued through 20,000 banks and issuers. And then those three billion cards are used at 70 million merchants and retailers. So for MasterCard, we actually have a role to play in helping shift consumer behavior, consumer choice, because ultimately when we have the country commitments, we have the company commitments, the world can't get there unless individuals are playing a role as well. And that's something that a lot of people have asked, like it's great that everyone's meeting in Glasgow, but ultimately what can can I do? What can I do? That keeps getting asked. So it's... We know from, from research that individuals want to make a difference, but they don't necessarily know how. One of the things that MasterCard is um, is offering is our carbon calculator. And this is something we're offering to the 20,000 banks that I mentioned earlier. And that enables them to begin to show their, um, their consumers. Um, if you think about using your MasterCard, you would look on your banking app and you would see what the financial transaction is of your purchase. But imagine now being able to see the carbon impact of your purchase as well. That begins the stages of awareness. And once we become aware, then we can start to make different choices and ultimately shift, shift culture, which is vitally needed. Great, and that's sort of carbon calculation downstream in a way. Um, but upstream, as you mentioned, that net zero timeline has been accelerated to 2040. A couple of interesting things have happened to support that um, since the 2050 was originally announced. So we've been following the issuance of your sustainability-linked bond. Um, and I understand more recently that there has also been an innovation lab launch for sustainability. So it'd be great to get an update on what's going on sort of in-house behind the scenes as well. Yep, fantastic. So for us with our net zero commitment, it actually started much before we actually committed. Back in 2018, we set our first science-based targets and that was at two degrees. Um, the guidance changed and so in 2020, we updated our science-based targets um, that were approved by the SBTI to, um, to 1.5 degrees. So it was a logical um, time for us to announce our net zero commitment. Urgency has accelerated. With our progress, with our evaluation, we were able to move that timeline up to 2040 and really proud that we were able to, to do that. But we know that the technology that is needed for us all to reach net zero um, doesn't necessarily exist today. And so we created the um, MasterCard's first sustainability innovation lab, which we launched um, in September in the Nordics, Threefold, um, the initiative is to invest in R&D for climate solutions, um, to co-create with fintechs and entrepreneurs, and then to actually go through the um, customer implementation of these solutions. It's our first sustainability innovation lab, but not our first innovation lab. We actually are taking the learnings from our lab for financial inclusion, our lab for, uh, for cyber resiliency, um, and now turning it to the environmental space.
And can you give any glimpse of the sort of innovation that's happening? Because as you've mentioned, Net Zero takes a mix of solutions. And while we've seen some that are scaling really rapidly and we're having announcements on now, like solar yesterday, um, yeah, some of them really need to mature quickly. Yeah, so this, it's, it's great. When I mentioned the carbon calculator um, earlier, we actually created that with a small fintech out of the Nordics called Economy. And so they're one of the first solutions coming out of the lab that we're looking to, how do we scale this? How do we actually drive it through maturity so we can really have adoption? And so that's one of the, um, the first solutions that we're actually you know working on there. Great, and Christina, I think our next interview, and indeed one of the upcoming whole days here at COP is dedicated to nature. Um, so I think it'd be remiss if we didn't finish by recapping on the Priceless Planet Coalition. So this is a collaboration of which MasterCard is a part of trying to um, yeah, steward 100 million trees. Um, so it'd be good to get an update and your thoughts on how that will be presented here as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, Nature Day is Saturday, and so it is going to be a big day here, um, and MasterCard will be um, instrumental in that. Last year, we announced our Priceless Planet Coalition and the commitment to plant 100 million trees. Um, the unique thing about this is that it is... It is not just MasterCard. We now have part of the coalition over 80 um, companies that have committed with us. And the unique thing here is, while philanthropic dollars are vitally needed, um, that is not actually what the coalition is about. It's about these different 80 companies with MasterCard creating campaigns that will help incentivize individuals in the purchases that they make and in turn turn into trees being planted. So starting to make that connection. So I'll give you an example. If you use your MasterCard, say, on a public transportation, trees being planted, or there might be a campaign to go paperless or with certain retailers, trees being planted. So. The other part of this that's really important is that while I mentioned trees being planted, it's really about restoring forests. And it's not about just a seed in the ground. We know that nature matters, that science matters, and that business has a role to play. And so we're partnering with two global um, organizations, Conservation International and WRI. And with that, we've really created a new model for private global reforestation at scale. And it has the rigor of ensuring the right places, the right trees in the right places. It's about climate first, but it's also community and biodiversity. Um, and we're really looking forward to continuing to, to drive progress um, here um, on Nature Day as well. I feel like there's so many more questions being asked about that now of businesses. So which trees, where, why, how, and how are you going to take it beyond seedlings? So a few years ago, I remember it wasn't as at that level but we've seen it in the UK, we've seen the seedlings just left on the side of motorways. We see what's going on with the Amazon and I think the conversation is vastly different now than it would have been even a short few years ago. It's absolutely, and and that's what the Priceless Planet Coalition is about. It is about not just planting the seeds, but growing those trees. It's about having the rigor and the maintenance and the monitoring and the reporting and the transparency so we actually can drive those results. And then the last thing I'll say is, it's really important that we're doing it with the local communities as well, um, because going in just as a single stakeholder, and you talk about kind of the survivability, it's not gonna happen unless we have those local communities in as well. So that's a really important part of the success of um, 
the... Yeah, and that definitely came out of the forest deal and other things already announced, so waiting for the details on those. Um, and while I wait, I'm going to hand back over to Matt and let Christina get going. I'm sure she has a very busy day, but thank you very much for your time. Absolutely, what a pleasure. Thank you. Great stuff. Thank you to Christina and MasterCard for that chat. And hopefully, Sarah, you can go for the next few days without having to do another interview about finance. Um, So now for part two of three, uh, we bridge across from finance to energy because, Matt, uh, you were up next, right? Yeah. um, I mean, we can pretend that I went out and got an interview. I was actually trying to just escape the blue zone. I had (laughs) enough. I was like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Just so happened to have my, uh, my trusty iPhone on me and uh, bumped into, um, I guess, no, this is all, this is all a bit very, this was kind of pre, predetermined that we would meet um, with the Energy Transitions Commission outside of the Blue Zone just due to access, ease of time and fear that the queues, uh, which are pretty much banished by the way, may be in the way. So I can hand over to my outside self right now. Okay, um, so speaking with Ita Kesselbra uh, from the Energy Transitions Commission uh, with Matt this morning, Let's hear that interview in full now. So in what is a strange turn of events, I have found myself outside of the blue zone. I had started to get what sunshine and fresh air felt like. Not that you always get sunshine in Glasgow, but we actually have uh, today. Uh, I'm on the bridge over the River Clyde, just outside of the blue zone for this next podcast segment. Today is, of course, Energy Day, so it's only fitting that we get some commentary on that. Uh, Joining me for this discussion is Ita Kettleborough, the Deputy Director of the Energy Transitions Commission. Uh, Ita, thank you so much uh, for joining me today uh, and agreeing to speak to me on a bridge, which I appreciate sounds a little bit ominous over an email, but uh, I hope you do like the the view at least. Um, How has your Glasgow uh, experience been so far? Uh, thank you. Real pleasure to be here on what is a really beautiful bridge and a beautiful view of the River Clyde. Um, uh, my class goes so far, so I arrived on Sunday, got caught, caught up somewhat in the, uh, the train fun and games, uh, getting from, from London um, up north. Um, so it's been busy, it's been hectic, but I think overall um, it's been very productive and very positive. Um, What has stuck out for me particularly is the real sense that really momentum towards decarbonising the economy and this real sense that a net zero, a mid-century net zero vision is the future, it's what we're aiming for. Now obviously the real questions are, you know, how, how do we do that and how fast can we do that? And, you know, a lot of this conversation so far has been, yeah, about, you know, turning this this ambition of the Paris Agreement into action. Um, Sharma's soundbite was where Paris promised Glasgow will deliver. Um, and prior, I mean, actually, I think um, about a month or so before to COP, um, the ETC released a Keeping 1.5C Alive um, report, which is incredibly timely, given that's been the mantra of COP26 so uh, far. Uh, how do you think the, the announcements that we've seen to date, some kind of big net zero targets with some, you know, relatively long time frames in fairness uh, are in terms of you know actually keeping the 1.5c target in in sight and in reach it's it's a good question the the NDCs coming into COP didn't and and still don't add up to the types of actions we'd need in the next decade to keep a 1.5 degree future in reach in terms of what what we need to do to stay uh, within 1.5, 
we need to act on all major forms of, of, of emissions. We need to act on carbon dioxide um, emissions, taking them from around the 42, 44 uh, gigatons a year today. Uh, sorry, that we could expect in a BAU scenario for 20, to be um, emitted in 2030, way down to around 20 gigatons. So it's a, it's a huge reduction that we need to be targeting in the next decade. And actually the NDCs really were only adding up to somewhere between kind of two to four, depending on some interpretation. So we looked at what were the key actions that we needed, that needed to be agreed in, in addition to the NDCs and really focusing on those actions that could A, be delivered by 2030, so technologies that are available to us now, uh, B, that are cost competitive or um, manageable costs within the context of the countries that need to take those uh, decisions, uh, where there's co-benefits that might make them politically more palatable, and also really critically for what's happening at the moment, where small groups of countries and corporates would be able to uh, take action, uh, kind of coalitions of the willing who could go forward, or smaller groups who could make big impacts, um, to help us accelerate alongside the NDCs. So there were six areas that we, we that we identified. Um, first two um, have been lots of announcements from this week. So the first one uh, was is nature and natural climate solutions. So halting deforestation and also accelerating reforestation. And I think on that first bucket, we've really seen very very um, welcome news on the on the. Um, deforestation pledges um, with, a, with a small caveat that it will require climate finance, it will require yeah. finance flows to really make those commitments real. So really important that Brazil is in the picture, that all Indonesia is in the picture, everyone is signed up to these agreements, but the, the proof will really be on getting the finance flowing. On coal, which is a big uh, focus for today on energy, um, really here, we lots of really very exciting announcements committing people to phasing out coal and especially no new coal um, so really really important um, decarbonizing the electricity system which will be the heart of um, uh, a decarbonized economy is really critical um, however um, if we want to keep 1.5 degrees in reach we'll have to go beyond new coal um, halting new coal, uh, new coal and we'll also have to phase out some existing coal and today's announcements don't yet cover that so more to go there but the really exciting financing agreements agreed with South Africa um, that's a really interesting and innovative mm. way to get that coal off the system again you'll need finance there to make people help people take it off so so some you know much further to go I think on, on coal but really good first steps and interesting financing mechanisms um, and then the final uh, the next bucket of actions that we identified were really three buckets where technology can take the lead so energy efficiency um, supply side decarbonization in industry and also um, um, ICE phase out so uh, mm -hmm. you know, phasing out cars I think a lot of that will come next week with the focus next week but real momentum in some of the corporate commitments around those and very finally the the sixth bucket methane really critical greenhouse gas actually historically hasn't really really achieve the focus it needs and uh, the announcement earlier this week on um, commitments to 30% uh, reduction in global methane emissions also very um, 
a really important first step, but we need to go further and we need to get more countries committed to that. So some of the big methane emitters such as Russia are not, not in that agreement. I don't want to keep you much longer. Thank you so much for finding me. I realise, you know, when you ask someone to meet you outside of the Blue Zone in Glasgow and the only kind of feature you can say is I'm wearing a coat and a face mask in, you know, uh, Covid times Glasgow. It doesn't really narrow it down. So thank you so much for being able to find me. Um, I'm going to actually go back into the Blue Zone. I feel like I'm getting withdrawal symptoms from it already and the, the sun's kind of hurting my eyes. I'm so used to being huddled away in the media centre. So I'm going to run back in there, hopefully get there in time to see who our next interview is. But Ita, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hi, so Kessel, we're there at the Energy Transitions Commission uh, speaking with Matt. So, Matt, segue us into the third and final part of this uh, episode, which I believe you had just now, is that right? Yeah, pretty much just came from. Uh, I ran into a few logistical issues around finding each other uh, in the action zone. Um, the, um, Lauren, who is the person we're interviewing, had gone up to the, the Hydro Club, which I don't think I have, I'm allowed into at all. It's oh. like very, very VIP-ish. Um, I think they took one look at me and turned me away, and that's it. So like, not you, no. And you go. And uh, when I was waiting for uh, um, outside of the action zone, I, I did. I thought I'd see. I thought I saw her because I had the same kind of long hair and a face mask. Just looked like I went, Lauren. And this woman went, Yes, it's me, Matt. And she went. I looked at her name and it was like Lauren Lipton. I was oh, like, sorry, well, <laughs> wrong Lauren. Actually. I managed to pick the wrong person who looked similar but also had the same first name, which I think is actually impressive. There's 25,000 people here, there'll be a few Laurens. <laughs> but the fact that they look the same and I just that happened is... to, 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 re to like call out to them. So who did you speak to? <laughs> so um, we had a chat with the Resilient Cities Network. Um, as I explained in the chat, they've just launched a new scorecard all around uh, resilient cities, believe it or not. But in terms of not just the climate crisis, but in terms of kind of social in inequalities as well. And trying to kind of twin those two issues to ensure that any kind of plans made today delivers not just a low carbon future, but a just transition as well. Okay, uh, well, let's hear that chat with Lauren, hopefully the right Lauren, <laughs> in full. So yes, I am now back inside the Blue Zone. I had my fun in the Glasgow sun earlier, but I come back to a much more familiar setting and a much busier setting than I was uh, expecting. Uh, I am in the Action Zone in the Hydro for our next interview. So um, earlier this week, the Resilient Cities Network unveiled the Resilient Infrastructure Diversity and Equity Ride Scorecard. The scorecard aims to help cities reimagine what is meant by climate-ready infrastructure. Uh, it places social and racial equity on the same level as the evaluation of traditional uh, structural design elements and financial feasibility of projects. So essentially it prioritises projects that embed equity into project design early in the process. Uh, joining me to discuss this pretty landmark scorecard launch uh, is the network's executive director, Lauren Sorking. Uh, so Lauren, thank you so much for joining us on the ED podcast. Uh, I always start with these questions. How has your Glasgow experience been so far? Well, I have to say the, the city has been absolutely amazing. Uh, Glasgow is an amazing host city for COP. Everything from the, the public transport that's available to just the kindness that everyone that I have met from the city has extended has been pretty tremendous. Uh, and you can see that there's a really... Um, there's really a transformation here in Glasgow. I had the privilege of spending most of yesterday uh, doing meetings with the city leader, Susan Aitken, and uh, you can really see the industrial transformation towards a green city here in Glasgow. And I think that is a real inspiration for a lot of cities around the world who are going through similar changes. Yeah, I was outside earlier doing an interview and there was, you know, green electric buses coming past and, um, you know, every kind of 
uh, taxi saw had the kind of cop branding on it. They've really tried to em embrace this, and you, you hope that it's just uh, uh, not just for, for cop, but carries on outside of it as well. And as you can see in the action zone today, there's you know hundreds and, and thousands of people here. They're all trying to embrace that same uh, narrative. But what I um, was hoping to talk to you today, because um, COP26 has been a, a big moment for the for the network with that ride scorecard that I touched on earlier. Um, so I suppose a good place to start is perhaps just a little bit more about that scorecard and, and you know, why you felt that that was needed in, in kind of today's society. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Well, it, it helps to to know a little bit more about Resilient Cities Network and why why we exist. So Resilient Cities Network is the premier resilience network in the world. We have about 97 member cities in 41 countries. And it's our job to help cities to be strong in a world where things are going wrong. And that means that they can stand up in the face of any kind of shock or stress. And the number one stress that all of our cities face is actually climate change and how they're going to deal with the changing climate. The second is how they're going to create economic opportunity. And you won't be surprised by this, but a number of our cities have been very, very badly affected by the pandemic. And the main shock or the main issue that they deal with because of the pandemic is problems with the economy, people losing jobs, people not being able to get out there and make ends meet. Um, so what we do with cities is we empower them to plan and invest better. So that takes us to the scorecard. So we have really a once in a lifetime opportunity right now because of the climate, because of how we need to reach net zero by mid-century, but also because of the pandemic, many, many countries around the world are investing in recovery. If we don't invest intelligently in recovery and meet both net zero goals as well as equity goals, then we're always going to be in recovery mode. Because as the pandemic has shown us, we're only as strong as our weakest link. We saw vulnerable communities around the world that can put a stop to a city's recovery if you haven't shored up those vulnerable communities, if you haven't protected them. So when we're making major infrastructure investments in cities, we not only have an opportunity, but we actually have an obligation to make sure that those dollars are also going to deliver equity benefits. They're going to deliver jobs for people. They're going to make sure to take care of those vulnerable communities. So this scorecard was designed to ensure that that can happen. And it can be used for any kind of city anywhere around the world. I think there's almost a danger of, of when we talk about resiliency, you do look at it just through the climate lens. You don't necessarily map out those those aspects that you've just uh, spoken about. And do, do you feel that there's a, a real benefit to aligning the, the social and equity aspects of, of a city to the climate? Because I'm guessing, you know, you, you mentioned that the pandemic, you know, affected people differently. The climate crisis is going to do the same. So is this kind of planning really going to actually improve resiliency across all spectrums? Absolutely. In fact, what I would say is it's not just that equity is an added benefit. It's that you actually create a tremendous risk if you don't think about equity. And one of the one of the best partners for the resilience conversation is actually the finance and insurance industry. They're the ones who take your risk into account. And what we saw in the pandemic, and, and this, is, this is something I mentioned earlier, is that the communities who were suffering, who were on the front lines, those who had to go to work, healthcare workers, folks who are wage laborers, right? They had to get out there and work. And if they did, there could be the spread of the disease and that can slow an entire city's recovery down. So you do have to think about these aspects of equity and inclusion in everything that you do. 
And our, our primary reader or, or listener in this format is, um, you know, the sustainability professional. They work for, for corporates. But um, I'm guessing, you know, this is a consideration that corporates can put into their strategic planning, whether they're looking to kind of expand their facilities, you know, open up a new facility in, in, in some part of the world. Is, is this something that corporates can be getting on board with as well? Absolutely. The scorecard can be used for any kind of investment or project. So it will take into account what kinds of equity benefits you can have, what kind of job creation benefits you can have, and also how the project might benefit in terms of diversity. We see a lot of corporates nowadays incorporating equity and inclusion in the decision making that they do, but there haven't been tools that are agile, easy to use, and take all of these aspects and put them into one place for projects. So this is a very easy to use tool. Corporates can access it as well. We're going to make it available um, to really take into consideration how they can drive benefits into the communities that they work in. And I think if you ask any business, how do you how do you really grow a relationship with a community, with a city, where you invest and where you want to build and expand over the years, you've got to take into account those community benefits. And that goes for um, that goes for you know companies that are as big as banks or companies that are doing industrial work to small and medium enterprise. You have to invest in community. And, and bringing it back to, to COP then where we are right now, we, we've seen I suppose a few um, glimpses of policy that, that does take it into account. There was the just trend, uh, transition announcement with the coal phase out today that kind of says as we move away from coal we'll make sure those workers in those regions are upskilled. What more are you hoping to see as, as COP rolls on that kind of balances the two twin themes of the climate crisis and also social equity and equality? Well, I think it really comes down to needing adaptation to be on equal footing with mitigation. We see massive announcements around net zero, and I think we haven't seen as many announcements of how we're going to mobilize that funding, right, the hundred billion or more, and it really does need to be more, that communities need to transition and also to keep safe there are communities that are in vulnerable areas, right, along water bodies and communities that really depend on climate at risk resources, natural resources for their survival. And just more broadly then, a very kind of broad question which does follow directly on from that. COP26, if it's a success, what does that look like to you? <laughs> that looks like more funding for communities for adaptation. It looks like more subnational financing and it looks like a much more transparent system for the costs of climate change. How we take into account those risks and then how we transfer funds to those communities who will need those funds the most to adapt and to build their resilience. Well, I mean, we've seen the launch of the, uh, the UN's adaptation report and the warnings that's had to hold today. So hopefully that's a nice solid foundation for those needs to be addressed at COP26. But Lauren, I don't want to keep you uh, any more of your time and what's an incredibly busy schedule by the sounds of things. So thank you so much for taking part today. Most welcome. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, thanks again to the Resilient Cities Network um, and indeed all of today's guests on the COP26 Covered podcast because that brings us to an end of today's jam-packed episode. And it's a rather abrupt end because Sarah and I need to rush off now to a, a video interview with the climate group. So stay tuned for the website for that. It's going to be a late evening for me, isn't it? I'm just suddenly realising with all the editing I've got coming up. But before we go, Matt, you're going to be taking the podcasting reins tomorrow, right? Yeah, I mean, we can we can tell them or I can just leave it as broad as we're going undercover. 
we're going undercover. So yeah. COP26 Covenant is going undercover. Okay, well, I think I'm looking forward to that. So make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. Um, we're publishing new episodes of COP26 Covered throughout uh, COP26 every day, capturing all of the big announcements and bringing you a range of exclusive interviews from the various zones here at COP. You can subscribe to COP26 Covered wherever you get your podcasts and for full info and audio links, visit ed.net forward slash podcasts forward slash COP26. But for now, as the sun is... Hey, what about question of the day? Oh, question of the day will wait till tomorrow slash Saturday's we'll do, we'll do a bumper Luke, question of the Luke day. has been pied so many times that he's decided to pie me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's the question. How many times has Luke been turned down an interview at COP26 so far? Right, enough. Um, as the sun sets on another day here in Glasgow, uh, it's goodbye from Matt. Goodbye. Goodbye from Sarah. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.